Please join in the prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our first scripture reading is from Psalm 85. Listen to God's word for us. Lord, you will favorable in your land. You restore the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You pardoned all their sin. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground, and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and will make a path for his steps. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The New Testament reading comes from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Listen again for the word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers and sisters, holy partners in a heavenly calling, consider that Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, was faithful to the one who, was appointed, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Yet Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that would be spoken later. Christ, however, was faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if we hold firm the confidence and the pride that belong to hope. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us go to God in prayer. O Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your word is proclaimed, we may hear what you are saying to us today. Let the words of your servant's mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, through Christ. Amen. This is indeed a blessed Lord's Day. It is so for two reasons. First, it is the second Sunday of Advent where we are encouraged to know and live in Christ's peace while waiting for his return. Second, today we celebrate the centennial of this sanctuary. 100 years ago on December the 9th, 1923, 36,526 days ago, the saints gathered on that Lord's Day to give glory to God for the blessing of a new worship space. This morning, we worship the same living God in this same space, knowing that we would not be here today without Jesus as the head of the church. I imagine there must have been some headaches along the way. Where we should build, construction delays, budget issues, fundraising concerns, and of course, 
the human component. You can't make everyone happy. But a centennial of serving God is nothing short of the work of the Holy Spirit. Interestingly enough, Pastor Joanne and I met a gentleman and his wife last Sunday at the pharmacy. We were sharing with him about Grace Covenant Centennial Celebration today, and he said, I heard it takes about 100 years to know if a church is going to survive or die. Well, I told him I was unaware of that, but we certainly were able to give him a great report about Grace Covenant. But not every believer holds a tight grip on their faith in times of trouble. Churches often worry about short-term and long-term sustainability and growth, among other things. These are real, and the fear and uncertainty about tomorrow can pose a threat even to believers to neglect Jesus. In our text, the Hebrew writer addresses a predominantly Jewish Christian community that faced a different apprehension that could put them at risk of dismissing Jesus. They struggled with accepting Christ's superiority over the law and angels in chapter 1. But there was also tremendous pressure for them to give up their Christian distinctiveness, either from the synagogues calling them back to live under the law of Moses, the terror of witnessing the Gentile Christian persecution by Rome, or the threat of death. It could be easy for them to default back to their old ways. The audience would have remembered their Jewish religious roots that say any Israelite who willingly rejected the law was excluded from the world to come. Some Jewish teachers thought that this sin, the rejection of the law, is unpardonable. The Jews did not weigh inadvertent sins as heavenly as, heavenly as intentional ones, and so the tension was incredible. The concern of attentiveness to Christ was not new. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says, Therefore we must pay greater attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Drifting can be natural if we are not anchored. Drifting does not happen overnight. It is a process that takes time. We can certainly drift in our relationships with family and friends if we fail to nurture them. We can drift away from reading the Bible or uh, attending church because of other commitments or even our children's extracurricular activities on the weekends. Drifting can catch us off guard. None of us intend to drift in, into indifference and unbelief. It seems odd that the author here had to remind Christians to consider Jesus. It is usually something that unbelievers should do. But even as we know that God claims us and calls us to a faithful response, considering Jesus at all in this fast-paced, ever-changing and burdening, burdened world can have its challenges. We can name at least five things or people we have considered before Jesus. We consider ourselves, we consider our friends, we consider our fears, we consider our overstuffed schedule and our dreams and aspirations. The author's conviction to his brothers and sisters in Christ was that he wanted them to see each other as more 
than churchgoers or people who sit next to each other in the pews with real worries and issues. They were holy partners in the heavenly calling who were encouraged to contemplate Jesus. He gives two reasons. First, the writer calls Jesus an apostle. He is the only one, he is the one sent by God so that we can hear from God. Nowhere else in the New Testament is Jesus called an apostle. The word apostle was a deliberate description because in Jewish terminology it was used to describe the envoys of the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of the Jews. The Sanhedrin sent out apostles clothed in its authorities and the bearers of its commands. In the Greek world, it frequently meant ambassador. As the, as the supreme ambassador, Jesus was sent from heaven to us with all authority to reveal God to believers personally. Second, Jesus is the one through whom we go to God and is called a high priest. High priests were the ones who offered sacrifices so that there could be reconciliation with God. But Jesus offered himself as the once and for all sacrifice for our sins and salvation. Jesus is the bridge builder through his coming and ascension, sitting on the right hand of God, allowing us to be partners as Christ's disciples. Verse 1 and 2 say, Therefore, brothers and sisters, holy partners in a heavenly calling, consider that Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Verse 2 contains a quotation from Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, to reveal that Moses, while a prophet, differed, differed from the rest. Where God made himself known in visions to the other prophets, Moses spoke to God face to face and was the direct recipient of the Ten Commandments. Moses was the man, and his glory is undisputed. These believers can now trust in the faithfulness of Jesus and Moses. Yet, our text says, Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Even today, brothers and sisters, we recognize the value of more glory. If we look at most sports, whether at the high school, college, or professional level, throughout the season, people talk about which athlete will be the most valuable player at the end of the season. The one who wins the MVP gets more glory. In Olympic events, all the athletes participate at the highest level, but the one with the most glory receives the gold medal. A house is a blessing for anyone who can afford to build it. But the builder of the house where Moses served in uh, was more than a human architect. The builder of such a house includes all the preparations of providence and grace needed to furnish it with living stones and fitting servants. God is more than a human architect. God is the builder of all things with Christ over God's house as a son. 
The son is greater than the servant, for the son owns the house, provides for the house, and rules the house. But to avoid being distracted or drifting, we must consider Jesus. To consider Jesus is no superficial passing thought. It's a word in Greek that means to fix one's attention on something so we learn a lesson from it. Jesus uses the same word in Luke chapter 12, verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor bar, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value, of how much more value are you than the birds? To consider Jesus, we must look at him and understand what God would have us to learn. When we consider Jesus, we can live in hope because of who we are and Christ's faithfulness and glory and can walk boldly as God's house in a broken world. Are we standing firm in the hope of the Lord? Are we living courageously in Christ's presence? Are we walking in faithfulness? First, to stand firm in hope, we must be consistent in our attitude. Our minds are often on Jesus when all is going well. But like the Hebrew audience, we can risk losing hope and courage when trouble comes. How many times have we seen on television people give glory and honor to God after winning a Grammy or an Oscar? We rarely ever see people doing the same when they lose, when life is not going their way, or when trouble is knocking down their door. As believers, we are encouraged to believe that in all seasons, the good, the bad, or indifferent, we ought to consider Jesus' superiority over the troubles of our lives. We can remain confident in our hope because we know Christ is consistent in his faithfulness toward us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. It reminds us that we can have the divine confidence that everything will be all right and that our imperfections will be perfected one day in his return. Although our society has, cha has changed tremendously since December the 9th, 1923, our confidence that produces hope and boasting in Christ is called to remain the same. When we stand firm in hope, we can be like the author and have absolute conviction to know that through Christ, we have real access to God. To live boldly in Christ's presence, we must be consistent in our walk. Paul encourages us in Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2. Lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. Our walk ought to reflect Christ, Christ's hands and feet. How we love inside the church walls should reflect how we love in our homes, jobs, and the world. We should be an example of walking in love, patience, and peace. 
when we remember to whom we confess our faith. We can be a divine presence in a world that lives without hope and can be an example for those who might be drifting. As sharers in the heavenly calling, we can claim victory while waiting for a new day. We can work to develop better relationships in our lives, deal with difficult times from a position of power rather than from a negative perspective, and walk in gratefulness for what we have. Individuals and communities should know us by our walk because we should have a unique gait. Isaiah 52 and 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. To be consistent in our walk, we must see Jesus as the conscious object of our faith. And when we walk in faithfulness, we are called to be consistent in our service. Moses was a faithful servant in God's house and Jesus was faithful over the house. We are called to serve faithfully as God's house. If as Christians we are God's house, we must ask ourselves, for what reason does one build a house? The house is undoubtedly a place where God's glory resides. As I think about the grandeur of this sanctuary and its meticulous design, the hammer beam, ceiling, the gothic design and arches and artistry, it gives me a sense of awe of God's glory. But the main reason one builds a house is to live in it. It is to be a place where people gather and a community is built. As God's house, we should give and experience radical hospitality, and the world should know us as a place of refuge. As God's house, we ought to find restoration and, nurture, and nurturing, but we are also required to be good stewards of it. We are called to give of ourselves through our time, talents, and treasures to, to the practices of building a community with Christ as its head. The beautiful reality is that we have been redeemed, that we might be his own dwelling place. Revelations 21 and 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. Is God's house. We are sent into the world as servants of Christ's grace to reflect the love of God. Brothers and sisters, in Christ we must take more than a mere glance at an invitation from God to God. We must fix our minds on Jesus, the true cornerstone of the church, for we are still God's house. And as God's house, we must consider Jesus in the hope and confidence of Christ's love and sufficiency. We must continue to be God's house, full of love and compassion and the power of the Holy Spirit, where we as believers build our lives on it. 
as holy partners, consider Jesus. When there is joy, reflect on Jesus. When troubled or burdened, study Jesus. When anxious, ponder Jesus. As we keep alert for God's return during the Advent season and every day in our faithfulness to the living God, let Jesus be the compass of our lives so that we can always go back to him over and over and over again so that we might keep our bearings straight. Let us find peace in considering Jesus and let him govern our lives. To God be the glory. Amen.